Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. Alize Zimmerman has always had a love of water. Born and raised on the islands of Turks and Caicos, she began diving at the age of 12. Earning a master's in English Lit at the age of 21, she taught in China and Spain, but it was a trip to Vietnam where she became a dive instructor, logging hundreds of hours in her second home, the sea. Her home called her back and she began volunteering with the Turks and Caicos Reef Fund, an NGO founded in 2010 to preserve and protect the environment of the Turks and Caicos Islands. It was on a routine dive that Alize discovered a rare coral disease affecting the beautiful reefs of TCI which then led her on an incredible journey to saving them. Self-taught and self-propelled, Alize is now the executive director of the TC Reef Fund. She embodies what it means to be the change and is a beautiful example of what we care most about is often the gateway to our purpose and calling. Welcome to Be the Change, Alize. Thank you so much, Christina. It's wonderful to be here. You know, this morning I was thinking I, I needed to change this intro to focus on your work with the TC Refund. And I stopped myself because listeners really want to hear your story. You know, you didn't study all your life to be a marine biologist or to find disease and coral, but rather as a lover of the ocean, you saw it happen firsthand and just decided to do something about it. And that's what this show is about. So I would love it if you could, Alize, just kind of start from the beginning, wherever the beginning is for you, and what got you here, and why the ocean is so important to you, and how you became a guardian of it. Oh, that is a long story. I could swim before I could walk, so I've been in and out of the water, in and on the water since I was very, very young. And growing up in the Turks and Caicos, there weren't many things for us to do. There weren't that many activities that didn't involve the water. So my, my affinity with the ocean really started at a very young age to the point where my mom, when we were traveling, I would try and jump in the tank with the penguins at the zoo in London when I was four years old. <laughs> or in a marketplace in France, my mom found me in a bucket full of watercress just playing around in the water. So if there was water, I would be there immediately. And the truth is, uh, Christine, especially the reefs of the Turks and Caicos, because that's where I've spent most of my in-water time, are my soul's happy place. There's just nothing more freeing than just kind of sinking gravityless, moving in three dimensions through the water column, just like the fish. It's it's the closest thing to flying. I'm also very clumsy on land, so the water and I get along very, very well. And so I moved back to the Turks and Caicos about five years ago um, after spending seven years traveling, um, moving city or country every year uh, in the academic system teaching. 
and I was a freelance dive instructor and illustrator. And uh, like you mentioned, it was on a routine dive that I first observed. I don't know if I could say I discovered, but I first observed the disease here in the Turks and Caicos on West Caicos. So it had been observed by a scientist at the School for Field Studies in South Caicos in January of 2019, but was just never really talked about. It was such a new and kind of unknown problem that we were dealing with. So then fast forward a couple months and I started observing it in West Cagos and something changed in me. You know, people asked me, why are you here? And I said, the 23rd of May, 2019. Like, I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the moment that I first came across a 20 foot tall pillar coral that was melting in front of my very eyes. So it wasn't exactly a quick start, but I became more involved in volunteering with the refund and just taking any opportunities I could to just snap pictures while I was working, guiding dives. And essentially, I think I could name one coral back then. And now I can probably name every coral that we have in the Atlantic Gulf region, as well as all the information about them. So it's very quickly become a passion, if not an obsession. But it's by far the most important ecological event, marine event in the Atlantic Gulf recorded history. This is changing the face of coral reefs in now 20 countries in the Atlantic Gulf and unfortunately not in a good way. Now, what is stony coral disease? So that's what you're talking about. Most people we know about the bleaching of the coral reefs. First of all, some background on the Turks and Caicos reef. Like why is this important it's the second largest reef, right? In North America? In the Western Hemisphere, yeah. It's Western the third Hemisphere. largest barrier reef in the world. So you've got Australia, Belize, Honduras, so and Guatemala. The Mesoamerican Reef is the second largest barrier reef in the world. And then the Turks and Caicos, the Bahamian Archipelago, creates the world's third largest continuous barrier reef. Incredible. Um, incredibly important. Yeah. Incredibly important. And it's also what makes that most people, when you, if you've ever been to the Turks and Caicos Islands, and for those of us who are fortunate to have, I mean, you never forget the color of the water. And it's the reef, you can see it outline, you can actually see the waves breaking on it that keeps that water. It's the Atlantic, it's not the Caribbean, which most people don't no. realize either, right? And Absolutely. It gets, yeah. And it's that reef that breaks and then has, that makes the water as blue as it is, the turquoise blue. Okay, so tell us a little bit about this stony coral disease that you came across. And it's not necessarily from climate change, right? From the climate crisis? I mean, I think, unfortunately, as a, as a bigger picture, yes, the climate change is what's causing all these environmental changes. But unlike something like coral bleaching, which is more temperature-related, this is a pathogen or combination of pathogens that even after 2014, so even after eight years almost of research and millions of dollars has not been quite pinpointed. There's no causative agent that's been identified for stony coral tissue loss disease. The likelihood is it's a combination of a bacterial and potentially a viral host. But this was first observed in Florida during some routine monitoring for a big dredging project for the Port of Miami. And like with any dredging project, you've got uh, scientists and divers that have to go out and just keep an eye on things and collect data to show how those projects might be impacting the environment. So during that, William Precht uh, came across 
multiple colonies that had rapid tissue loss. And there are the Caribbean, to be honest, Caribbean Atlantic Gulf is kind of the disease hotspot of the world as far as marine environments go. But never has there been a disease such as this one that not only affects multiple species, we're talking 30 plus species of stony coral, but it has an 80% plus entire colony mortality rate. So the implications of that are quite, quite shocking when you realize that endemic disease that's normal in the population has two to 3% mortality rate over all the species. And SCTLD species specific has 80% plus. What this means in numbers is that, say, after two years of disease, one in two corals may no longer be there. So we are on certain reefs, and of course, each area will have different resistance and different corals that will be more affected. But on certain reefs across the region, not just in the Turks and Caicos that have been studied and that there's actual data collected there, 50 to 70% hard coral cover loss is being observed on these reefs in only a few years. Oh. So what I say to people is that for me, this, this is an extinction level event, unlike any that we've had to deal with in the marine environment, especially due to the rapidity with which it can affect an entire reef system. What would you tell the average person who may just vacation Turks and Caicos once in 10 years and or, you know, goes to the Caribbean when they can, but just the average person, why is this so important to save it and to find an answer? Why is this so devastating? As you mentioned, the coral reefs are what sustain this region not only economically through tourism, diving, snorkeling, and the protection of those beautiful beaches, but also on a physical level. So the reefs are what create our coastal protection. So they prevent the storm surges from being as bad as they could otherwise be. And they're also for, especially on the smaller islands where there isn't necessarily a lot of trade or import they provide sustenance for the people of those islands as well through the fisheries. And, you know, we talk about fisheries and, and how they're not the best thing in the world, but we think about fisheries as a global commercial state. Whereas when you go to these small islands, those little reefs are actually sustaining human lives, like very connected. So the plate, ocean to plate and kind of connection there is, is much stronger. So without the coral reefs, uh, not only would we be in an economical and environmental disaster, but also the chain of uh, sustenance and, and the food chain in these islands would probably collapse as well. And I mean, that's enough, right? <laughs> it's like, that's enough. And uh, if for no other reason, it's so beautiful. So yeah. 10 years as a person, I mean, you know, the hashtag I live where you vacation doesn't doesn't go over my head easily. Like I, I understand the luck and the beauty that we have here. So I try to also tell people it's not just about economy and food and coastal protection. It's what it does to your soul. It's, it's that magical feeling of natural beauty. And it's something that the human population, especially in cities and suburban areas, I think we're losing touch to just the feeling of peace and joy that nature can bring. Beautifully said. I can't imagine going to 
Turks or any place and not being able to see the beautiful life that exists underwater. And it is incredible. I've had the opportunity and the luck to go snorkeling with you and see incredible things that only a Turks Islander would know where is and then someone who maps it out. So thank you for that. We saw a gigantic brain coral. It's forever in my mind, you know? And I think there is some good news. And also I want to segue back to, you know, how you started in this. First of all, you, you don't have a background in marine biology. You know, this wasn't your study, but your big brain, as my son would say, and you had a master's in English lit at the age of 21 when most of us are graduating with our BFA. And so I know and have seen firsthand that you, you just basically, you found this and you absorbed it all. The information, it was like constantly feeding into your brain. Like, how can I, I solve this? And fortunately, there is a solution that you have found that's been helping, maybe not the best, but I believe using penicillin is, which most of us think that's for humans, but it's also helping the stony coral. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the so far, the best practice treatment that's been discovered or figured out by researchers and scientists uh, based out of Florida is a combination of amoxicillin, so a beta-lactam antibiotic like penicillin, and it's combined into a paste that was designed by Ocean Alchemist. They're a pharmaceutical company that are using those superpowers for the environment. So they've created a very specific paste and that when combined can be applied directly onto the lesion of a coral head. And the paste itself is hydrophobic to prevent leaching of the antibiotic into the marine environment and allows that antibiotic to be absorbed by the coral over three days, which is shown to be kind of the best rate of absorption for amoxicillin. This is why we know that there's a bacterial component to the disease because the antibiotics do stop the disease progression. It's not easy to do. It's time-consuming. It's labor-intensive. And, of course, we don't do this without the understanding that it isn't, like you said, the best option to add antibiotics to the marine environment is not something that we're doing lightheartedly, but it's a time-is-of-the-essence situation And so there is constant and consistent work in trying to find non-antibiotic alternatives. And we're getting close. There are a few different treatments that are effective, not as effective. Then you're weighing your options on the trade-off. So having something that's a little less effective but doesn't give any antibiotic resistance fears would be the ideal solution. Unfortunately, Christine, if I'm perfectly honest, intervention in the field is just not scalable. We can't treat coral at the rate at which they're getting infected, which is why most of uh, Florida has had a huge rescue effort. So they have pulled thousands of colonies out of the ocean and are housing them in aquaria as far north as like Nebraska. There are Florida corals in aquariums and universities all over the continental U.S., Wow. Which is incredible. Unfortunately for us in the Caribbean, we don't quite have those resources and, and institutions. But that's actually our next step is that the refund, we're working on a land-based facility now in order to try and get some genotypes and genetic diversity out of the water. So that's, that's incredible. <laughs> and that will be housed on, on TCI? 
So uh, South Bank, uh, the development at Long Bay Marina that has been so kind to already give us uh, an office space, have also uh, verbally committed to a small piece of land in which we can create this outdoor facility. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm excited. I just came back from a workshop in the Florida Keys with Dr. David Vaughn of Plant a Million Corals. And it was an incredible three-day experience where we really got to learn the ins and outs of coral husbandry, as well as the uh, novel technique of micro-fragmentation. So using a diamond band saw and taking a coral and cutting it into centimeter by centimeter squares, which increases the growth rate by up to 40%. So Dr. David Vaughn has been micro-fragmenting corals and having them spawn naturally, reproduce in as little as two to three years, which would take 50 years in the wild. That's incredible. This is all amazing information. And I want to stop right here and also just thank you, Alizé. I, I don't think everyone listening wants to be the change. And I hope that you're understanding that Alizé came to this, saw the problem and really like single-handedly with assistance, of course, but you were the driver. (laughs) Yeah, much assistance. I'm not saying that there aren't volunteers, but you really are the driving force on TCI to bring this to, you know, the forefront and to show the importance of it and to get people together to do this. And that's just incredible. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I hope everyone listening is understanding that you too can do this. Now, maybe it's not the coral, but it's, it's finding that, that purpose and calling. And I don't think, did you ever think, I don't know, 10 years ago that you'd be doing this? No, I didn't think five years ago that I'd be doing this. I was, you know, quite happy as a freelance illustrator and dive instructor, teaching, traveling. I never saw myself becoming so single-mindedly focused on something. But like you said, when you find that purpose, yeah, I care about the the coral reefs here more than pretty much everything else, except for maybe my mom and my husband. (laughs) (laughs) When that calling comes, I guess, you know, people wonder, well, how do I find my calling or what, if you could share a little bit of that, it's almost like it drags you into it. You have no choice, right? No choice. Yeah. I don't feel like you really had a choice. Like at first it was like, okay, sure. I can help by taking some photos. And then I just started observing more and more and seeing these things. And what I realized is without that academic marine biology background, which I do hope to get at some point, what I have over that background was the infield experience and an eye for observation. So we're all a piece of a puzzle and I'm not going to be the one to figure out stony coral tissue loss disease. But if I can take photos of weird reactions that the corals are having and give those to researchers and scientists, who might be the ones to figure it out, then then I'm playing my part. And that's really where I feel that my role lies is I've been thinking about it a lot recently and it's not in the lab. It's not trying to figure out the science behind it necessarily, but to be that field observer and also the communicator and outreach. Exactly. And the fact that you didn't stop yourself. I think a lot of people would stop themselves and say, well, I see this, but maybe doubt themselves, Alize. 
And that's another thing that I want to get across because if you had stopped and said, I don't have this degree, well, I'm not this, I'm not the scientist, then so much would have been lost. How were you able to not let that doubt creep in? It, it crept in. It definitely <laughs> and it, to be honest, it did. And it still does. It still does. And I think in certain amounts, that's healthy. Um, it's a driver, you know. The last thing is to be the person who who knows everything. But again, all I can say is it was just so much bigger. And I just I love those corals so much. Especially on a smaller island, I think it's easier, of course, because there's more room to do things. So it's not like, okay, I can say to somebody else who's got the qualifications, hey, there's a problem. We're a small island. So somebody's got to step up to the plate. And I was kind of just thrown in. Yeah. One of the things in my research and all the traveling uh, I've done in different areas and trying to figure out what the solution is to the climate crisis we face and how, you know, my son and his children, if he chooses to have, will survive in this world and what we can do to repair. And one of the things that everyone has shared with me is shared information. And there's a lot of NGOs out there and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who all want to be the heroes and their intentions while maybe good to, you know, help save or help hunger or, or the stony coral or whatever it is right now, and, you know, name it, the fires, but they all want to be seen as the hero, which then keeps them, they hold on to their information. Yeah, and this is probably absolutely. the worst thing that we could do. And it's, it's going to be community that solves this, right? I completely agree. I think, in fact, uh, often when people ask me about SCTLD or stony coral tissue loss disease, and I have to keep hope, right? Like, yes, I go down there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is devastating. But if there's no hope, there's no point. And one of the main driving factors is that never in my lifetime and all the researchers and scientists who are considerably uh, more experienced than myself have all agreed we have never had this amount of sharing of information. I sit on a meeting once a month with stakeholders, marine managers, scientists, researchers from 17 countries. And we talk about what's going on and what's working and what's not. And this is just, I'm just talking about stony coral tissue loss disease in the Caribbean here, but this has created a, the problem is bigger than us. And scientists are known for, until published, keeping their research quite holed up. And that's, again, to blame on systemic issues with funding and academia. I mean, that's a whole different scenario there. But this is bigger than everyone. And I think if we could use this as a microcosm to look at climate change, then we do have the power to do something about it if there is a stronger collaboration and communication. Um, a dear friend of mine Dr. Francisca Ulmer, she is part of a group called uh, Scientist Rebellion. And they're trying very, very hard to be those voices because unfortunately, scientists do all this work, but they're not often the voices that are heard or not known for being very pushy either. So I can kind of bridge that gap a little. I love that. Scientist Rebellion. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's basically hard, hard scientists needing to speak up more about the fact that they create these research papers 
hand them in and then say, okay, we've done our job. We've told them that it's a disaster, but then now you're leaving it to politicians and policymakers to communicate that information. And then it gets turned and twisted or just edited in ways that that doesn't necessarily reflect what the scientists originally wrote about. And the fear of funding, I mean, there's, again, a very, very in-depth issue, but I will say that at least in the Atlantic Gulf region, I've just been invited to a peer exchange in Mexico to present on three years of stony coral tissue loss disease in the Turks and Caicos. And just a realization that the every man for himself is just not going to work. No, it's just not going to work. It, it isn't going to work. And I think we're seeing that even in our little world here in New York City. It really feels that way right now with the pandemic and with everything. And it, and it's what keeps me up at night. It's how to bring people into community because we have so many opposing, strong opposing opinions here right now, not based on science and based on feelings and whatever, a whole bunch of other stuff. But I want to know what brings us back to community. And one of the things that I found so endearing about just one, because there's many of Turks and Caicos Islands, is there is a sense of community. And we, my son and I had the opportunity when we were there to also go and uh, work with you on an environmental camp during the summertime and help people who uh, live there who don't necessarily know, you know, that their economy is based on tourism, but don't necessarily know how important the waters are. And many of the children also haven't even gone into the water, which I found shocking. It is absolutely. That's one of my personal agendas is to increase accessibility to the marine environment for young Turks and Caicos Islanders. We import all our dive instructors and all my dive instructor friends, I do love you and I don't want you to leave, but we shouldn't be importing dive instructors on an island. There is so much room to develop And I always say, you know what, the first time you swim with a turtle, then you care about it. You can't truly care about something, like truly care about something that you don't have a personal connection or experience to. And so by increasing accessibility to the marine environment, we can create fundamental change on on a higher level through generations. Absolutely. And have you found a way to bring people from island to become dive instructors? Are you working on that as well? I am actually, yeah. I mean, dive instructors, so several steps. First, I want to just get people comfortable swimming and diving. But I have just actually this morning received confirmation that I've gotten a sponsorship from Patty for 10 free courses and certifications per year that a private funder is funding the rest of it. So my thought is to create a program where I can find 10 young Turks Islanders, say 15 to 25. Um, who will work in conservation in exchange for becoming dive instructors. So you don't win the lottery, but you get to actually become invested in the marine environment and also learn to scuba dive, which is a $1,000 course. It's not something that's accessible for your everyday person on an island, let alone after a pandemic or during a pandemic, rather. So yeah, so I'm very excited about that. We continue to do our swim camps. My mom actually uh, teaches the kids at the orphanage at the Provost Children Home how to swim every weekend, or she did before COVID had to put a stop to that, of course. So yes, and then I do have some friends who are staff instructors. And although there is no actual IDC, which is Instructor Development Course for scuba diving here in the Turks and Caicos, 
with the right amount of people, we could then have somebody come in for that course. So yeah, it's definitely in the project books. And as much as I am obsessed with stony coral tissue loss disease, I understand that there's nothing more important than creating that societal change and increasing that accessibility for long-term conservation. So I'm trying to balance immediate needs and then the long-term needs. That's right. And changing the, uh, as you said, the construct of what science is right now and everything for that matter, right? Tourism and what's happening on the island. In fact, you know, the person you want to go to who has the best information is the person who's lived on the island all their lives. The person who has used it. Yeah. So if your income is coming from fishing for red snap or, you know, whatever it is, grouper, right? You're going to know the currents. You're going to know where the fish are. And you're also going to know where the fish aren't anymore. And yeah. And that's community. And and just hearing you talk. And when you say that it's simple, everyone listening, and I, I'm going to say this for you and I say it for myself is to, you know, look at your small community, even if that is New York City or what you can do in your own neighborhood. You see something that bothers you. What can you do to help? How can you be a helper and just do it and don't let anything else stop you? So, Alize, I ask this of everyone on the show comes on the show. I know that this is not an easy thing you know, to be the change isn't easy. And uh, oftentimes they'll come in as money and like you're a, a one human show who just constantly keeps going. But it's not like people are paying you millions of dollars, right? And I know there's times you were doing this for free, but now, you know, thank goodness you, we have a position for you. But when you see this and you've just spent, I don't know, a whole weekend putting in, you know, a box of psyllin into the coral. And then the next day you go and you see one that's just decimated from the disease. Like, how do you keep a balance and keep going and keeping the change? Oh, that's a very good question. And one I think I'm still figuring out, I have definitely had some pretty despair moments. I think surrounding yourself with good people really helps. I appreciate the the one man show and and motion for change, but I couldn't do it without the dozens of people that help and support and uh, pick me up when I'm crying. But it's that little thing inside of you that just tells you to keep going. I try to balance. I'm trying to get better. So the truth is, Christine, I got pretty down and now I'm working on finding that balance because it's so easy when you hear about something so much to become so focused to the point where you destroy yourself or at least destroy the part of you that was able to do all these things. So for me, I've started planting more seeds. I like watching my seedlings grow. They're healthy and alive. Focusing on the outreach and education side of our program rather than just working on coral disease seven days a week, realizing that you need to balance those long-term projects as well. And uh, the coral nurseries, just the hope that comes with finding that one colony. So yes, there are these times you go underwater and you see all the corals you treated and they're doing okay. And then you see this one that, you know, that's the hardest part is triage. I have to decide what lives and what dies underwater. And sometimes that can be the hardest. Well, not sometimes. That is the hardest part. But occasionally you swim through an area where most of the corals have succumbed to this disease. And then you just see one that's just there. 
and it's like perfectly healthy. And so those are the ones I try to latch on to now. So I used to spend at the beginning of this disease, I would spend most of my time trying to find the diseased corals and photographing them all. And I'm trying to switch my focus now and try to focus on the resilient corals and what are they showing to us? And maybe they can help a piece of the puzzle to, to restoration. Yes. And I, I think it's no surprise that probably what brought you your passion to this is also the fact that you have emotion. I can see you several times during this, you know, and me the same, that you're brought to tears over it. And that's an empath. And so it's, it's hard to keep that balance. And I understand. I understand. And thank you for that. Yeah. We got to look at the good, you know, and not just get distraught over that or the very thing that we want to do will destroy us. Right. Yeah. And it's easier said than done, no doubt. And sometimes I think a higher emotional sensibility is one of my downfalls. But then I realized that it's probably the thing that made me so motivated to do this in the first place. So just trying to balance it all out. Exactly. Well, here we come to the point of how we can help you. So tell us, how can people help your cause, donate money, you also, I saw on your website that you sell your beautiful illustrations. You have to, Alize makes, I have four that I have postcards that she made that I just took last time I was in the office. They're gorgeous, but there's many ways we can support you and your work. Can you tell us? Absolutely. Well, the, the Turks and Caicos Refund, uh, we're in our 11th year and we are a 501c3, so we're a charitable American based organization, www.tcreef.org is where you can find information about us and you can donate there and even specify what you would like to donate to, whether it's adopt a coral that will then be outplanted to the reef or donating to specific causes. But also, you know, we have direct flights from New York City and we have a lot of people come here. So if you're coming to the Turks and Caicos, reach out, come and see our office, just come and talk to us. Think about the things that you're bringing with you and the things that you're leaving behind. If you bring your hair products and sunscreens, that's fine. But take those empties home with you because we don't have a recycling center here. So little things like that, like if you're traveling and you use your hair products and you can bring home the empty bottles, I would encourage you to. You know, it's not only being able to scuba dive or directly apply amoxicillin. I mean, my husband is actually allergic to penicillin and he still is a huge part of this effort. So Everybody can be the change in their own little way. You know, look up local tour operators, go to some of the little local restaurants that are off the beaten path. But one of the biggest things for me really is the amount of products that come here and then go to our landfill and are dumped. So it's something very small, but take it home. Alize, I never would have thought of that ever. I mean, that's exactly right. There is no recycling facility. I think they may say there is, but there isn't. <laughs> we won't get into that. Hard. You know, recycling is is all well and good, but we don't produce enough to justify the energy needs of a recycling plant either. It's not an easy out recycling. Yeah. So most of us, most tourists who come, they think, you know, I have to have reef safe sunscreen, which I... I have yet to find any that is reef safe. You can use the mineral base, but many of us still get burnt with that. So use it, bring a rash guard. 
Um, Get a Turks and Caicos refund, Rascard. They have locally designed art in our SPF 50. Exactly. So if you do go, it's tcreef.org? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So if you go to tcreef.org, not only can you donate there, but you can buy products and they do have rash guards. You could also go to my company, which is goodhomestore.com. And we are donating a dollar with every purchase of the Kalina Colada scent to the TC refund. And I will do that as long as that scent is alive and well. So there's many ways that you can donate. And I think one of the greatest thing that you said, Alize, was when you go there, you know, look you up, go to TC yeah. Refund and, and DM Alize. She's going to answer you and see if there's a camp going on or how you can help. Or if you're a diver, if you can help, you know, I don't know if you allow divers to go and do the amoxicillin thing. Probably not, but there's probably things that you could do, right? Um, and just yeah, see the facility. Yeah, nursery work and yeah, the, uh, the treatments are a little more training uh, oriented. But we have coral nurseries. We do mooring installations. I mean, if you come here and you go on a snorkel boat or a dive boat and you hook up to one of those balls with a pickup line, that was installed by the refund based on fully volunteering donations. So we are also responsible for all the moorings to prevent anchorage. Um, and as someone who has worked on boats for many, many years, it doesn't matter how good you are at throwing an anchor, you are eventually going to hit the reef. So moorings are our first line of defense. So that is something that's not even funded by by our national park services or government. That is all done by the Turks and Caicos Refund. And you can support us with your help and your time. And if possible, a little bit of dime. Right, exactly. And if you want to be the hero and, you know, you could probably buy it, but you you donate enough, you could get your own mooring with your name on it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, know, do it for a birthday or something. And even if you don't go to Turks and Caicos, I really encourage you to donate and to help because by helping this community, you're helping other communities and being the change and, you know, and helping people out there who are the change makers and making a difference. It's not the big charities. So at least that's why I've discovered. Well, Alize, thank you so much. Also, Instagram, where can we find you on Instagram? TC Reef underscore fund. Okay. Please TC you follow Reef. us on Instagram. TC yes. Reef underscore fund and TC And I will also have this. This will be in the liner notes for the show. So thank you, Alize. Thank you for being the change and thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Christine. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.